This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Here we are again. Welcome back, everyone. I feel like I've said welcome back like a hundred times in the last two years. But anyways, welcome back. We're so glad that you're here. And... um, I'm just so glad that we can be together. I never take, I mean, I don't know that we really took this for granted growing up. If you grew up in the 80s, um, when the USSR was still a thing, when I was a kid growing up in youth group, we'd play, um, I'm embarrassed actually, I don't even actually know why I'm telling you this, we used to play communist church, and you would pretend that you were not allowed to meet And that was supposed to, I see some of those nodding hands. Yes, you played this game, so I'm not alone. Some of you are like, this is really weird. I was glad I did not grow up in the 80s. But anyways, the point was that you would pretend that you couldn't meet as a church and you were supposed to like, because we didn't know something like a pandemic could happen. And um, I can remember feeling like, I wonder what that would feel like. And now we've all got to experience it. We all know what it means not to meet. And, And in some ways... In fact, this is important for us as a church because we need a new apologetic about why we gather. It's not good enough to say that like we gather um, so that we can sing songs because we all know we can sing songs like with our, it, our buds in our ears and we can pretend we're really good singers. It's not, that's not enough. We, we actually need to wrestle that to the ground. And I would encourage you, like, you're here today, so you actually hold the value. And listen, this is no, we we understood that opening back up, that for many people, particularly those with children right now, um, it's a a hard decision to make. So we're glad that you're here. And if someone that you know is not here, uh, call them this week and just tell them that you're thinking about them and that you love them because community matters and we matter for each other. Okay, we're going to get into our series called Uncertain. I, I wanted to call this series Certain, but then I was uncertain as to if I should call it certain because we're not really certain about anything. And the point is, is that in the natural, in our natural life right now, we are uncertain. Um, for a number of months, I would say to our staff every time we'd close up, this will be the last time we're closing. And then, and, and then I would say things like on Tuesday mornings, I'd be like, and when we get back to normal, because I can see that we're at the end of this. Now, how, how many of you, you can agree with my sentiment that you've had this conversation? Oh, like three weeks ago, I was like, I'm not saying it anymore when we get back to normal. I don't know when that will be. So we're certain. But one thing we are certain of is that Jesus walks with us in all of it. That Jesus' presence goes with us. We are certain of that. And that is the message um, of First Peter. Uh, in the first week, if you watched online, you'll know that Peter begins talking to the, his, his people as exiles. He calls them exiles uh, because the people he's writing to have been scattered all across the world. And this was, in fact, a really important historic thing. Because they were scattered, the gospel got scattered like seeds all across the world. And that's why billions of people call Jesus their savior And so it was a really important thing, but it's interesting that he calls them exiles. They are not tourists. They are not immigrants. We talked about the difference between an exile, a tourist, and an immigrant. And this is not to, if if you're an immigrant, this is not to belittle that. But when you're an immigrant, you say, I'm coming to live in a new land. When Dave and I immigrated to Hong Kong, 
we didn't say we were just there to be tourists. We were there to live amongst the people. I tried to badly learn Cantonese. And, I, and we bought things that indicated that we were living there. We lived amongst the people. Being an immigrant is different than being an exile. And it's different than being a tourist, too. When you're a tourist, like, you don't really care what's going on in that country so much, right? Because you are there to go to a beach and sit on that beach. Remember those days when you can sit on beaches and drink drinks with umbrellas in them? When you're a tourist, you're not worried about what the next municipal election is going to bring. It doesn't matter. But when you're in exile, you understand the place that you're living, you're going to be living for some time, and so you care about the land that you're living in, but you actually know that this land is not your home. It's just a place, you're longing for a place that truly is your home, and this is how First Peter is framed to us. And in the second week, um, Peter talked about how we are to live, how we're supposed to live as exiles. And in chapter 2, the thing about Peter is that... Um, he kind of like just continues on with his personality from the Gospels. So in the Gospels, Peter is like a mouth, right? He just says whatever is on his mind. He's like cutting guys' ears off and swearing at people. And he doesn't swear anymore. The Lord is redeeming him. But the pride of his personality that's like right there in your face. Peter continues in 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, he basically starts off telling all the exiles, it's time to grow up. Do you remember when your mom would say that to you when you were grow up? Maybe you, now my mom didn't say that to me. She's sitting in the second row, so <laughs> I'm sure she meant it. But do you remember when, when you had, or, or if you have children and they are acting and they are 15 acting like they're seven and your first instinct is to tell them to grow up, grow up, act your age. And this is what Peter basically says to the church in 1 Peter chapter 2. He starts off in verse number one by saying, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. I want you to notice in this, um, in this list of things Peter tells us to rid ourselves of. So the word malice is, it just means evil, all kinds of evil. But here's how he defines evil. Deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. I want you to see the thread that runs through this list. This all has to do with how we treat other people. Which reminds us that the way that we walk out our faith is not an individual like, it's just me and Jesus. No, Peter's reminding us right off the top that the way we walk out this freedom that Jesus has brought us has everything to do with how we treat others. Everything to do with how we treat others. So this is why your presence online matters. This is why your Twitter updates matter. This is why your Instagram matters. Because if we're gonna get rid of all malice, we gotta get rid of all the ways that we treat other people incorrectly. And then he says, um, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So Peter, he doesn't phrase this as an imperative here, but this is clearly his desire for these believers that they would, um, that they would grow up, that they would grow up in the things of God. And what he's addressing here is the idea that even in the first church, there were people whose spiritual lives did this. 
up and down and up and down. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way before. I sure have. There are times where I feel like I could take a mountain for Jesus and other times where I feel like I don't know if I can, like, I'm hoping to get past Monday. And Peter says we don't, we don't actually have to live like that. He says, we, we actually can grow up in the things of God. We can get strong in the things of God. And he says, you grow up by craving spiritual milk like newborn babies. And I was thinking about this because I think the word crave really spoke to me because we're on that two weeks of prayer and fasting. Today is the last day. And I was thinking, how do you force yourself to crave something that's good? A lot of us have been trying to solve this problem for all of our lives because you know what I crave when I'm fasting? Cheeseburgers. Whoppers. Number five from Wendy's. Spicy chicken. Extra fries from Five Guys. All the things that I see as I'm driving around. I know I have wrecked it for all of you now. You are all starving. How does one learn to crave carrot sticks and hummus. That is the biggest question known to man. How do we crave things that have no calories in them or are good, remotely good for us? Okay, so I went on a search for the Holy Grail this week. You'll be glad that I spent time researching this all week. You'll be glad to know that there have been studies that had, some of you will be horrified to know this. There have been studies done recently that say that you can actually train your brain to crave healthy foods. Yes, yes. And I, I was going to put the URL up. If you, I'll tell you what, though, you can find it. If you go online this week, I put it in the notes for the online congregation. <laughs> and you can find this study. Um, and the study is long and complicated, but I'm going to give you the reader's digest notes on this. How do you crave healthy things? First of all, you surround your health self with healthy things. So basically move out of North America. And it's not even North America. I'm going to say move out of the world. A forest, preferably a forest with a lot of mushrooms growing in it, not poisonous ones, ones you can eat. You have to surround yourself. Like, listen, I... I um, when Dave and I, just before we moved here, we lived in a neighborhood um, and... Uh, Obviously, we lived somewhere, but we were backed onto a McDonald's and also a really good Indian restaurant that was like, I could throw a rock at them. And it was terrible because whenever I was pregnant, I always knew I was pregnant because I would crave McDonald's cheeseburgers. Like, not just like I want a cheeseburger, like I have to have a cheeseburger now. It was very, very strange. But I was pregnant for much of the time. We lived there and we could walk we could, I could walk to McDonald's in 30 seconds. I was what's called a frequent user of McDonald's. There's whole studies on frequent users. It's terrible. But I was a frequent user. And when I wasn't at McDonald's, I was at this little Indian shop that was amazing. You could get, like, you could get all, all these amazing foods for almost as cheap as McDonald's. This was a difficult time in our life because we were surrounded by things that were not healthy. Not that, it, not that the Indian food was not healthy. It just wasn't healthy for my bank account to eat there every day. But if, we're, if you're going to get healthy, you actually have to take all the things out of your fridge that are unhealthy. Like, you, like 
if you have bags of chips in your house, like probably remove them. That's not probably the best idea, right? We, we put healthy things. We surround ourselves by healthy things. And then the second thing the study told us um, that you do is you begin to think, focus on the positive changes that will happen when you surround yourself. So not like, like if you focus on this hummus and carrots taste awful, it, it won't work for you. You, act, you actually have to think things like, you know what? You know that wardrobe? It might be only the ladies I'm speaking to here, but it's the second wardrobe we all have. That, and the wardrobe is, it will fit me again soon. We all have that wardrobe after COVID, right? <laughs> that the non-sweatpants section of your wardrobe. Um, but if you start thinking about, you begin to like think about the positive things that, that, that those changes will bring you that actually helps you. And they've done MRI studies and actually said that people's brains begin to change. The, the, the studies actually show that the imaging changes in their brains. They actually begin to crave healthy things. So there is hope for all of us. But we have to surround ourselves by healthy things and we've got to think about the positive changes. And I, and I was thinking about this in light of the scripture when Peter says, crave spiritual milk. The way that we begin to crave spiritual things is we got to surround ourselves with good and healthy spiritual practices. That, that's why the, this is part of the reason why the gathering matters. Because you surround yourself with people that are worshiping, and then you begin to think, I, I, guess, I, better, I, get, I guess I better worship. You put your Bible somewhere where you can see it every day, then, then you begin to read it. The, the most... Uh, the most awesome thing our staff began to do in about the summer was we, we just said, you know what, we want to surround ourselves by the Word of God, ingesting the Word of God. So we just got on this, we're going to read the Bible together, the New Testament twice and the Old Testament once this year. It's been great. We all have to write a little something every day. But I'm surrounding myself with people who are ingesting the Word. So let me ask you this. Who are you surrounded with right now? How are you surrounded with the things of the Word? Like, listen, if you got a whole bunch of chips, and maybe the chips in your life is Netflix, a steady diet of Netflix and Prime Video, or, or maybe, the, 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 maybe the chips in your cupboard are like a whole bunch of people who you know aren't focusing you towards Jesus. Now, all things in moderation. So, like, nobody's going to have a heart attack if they have three chips. It's, it's, it's in fact, actually kind of good that we have things in moderation. So I'm not saying you only need to be around people that know Jesus. Please don't hear this. But I am saying if all the people you are around, if all the things that you are around are turning you away from Jesus, then you're never going to crave anything that's healthy for you. You're never going to crave anything that's going to strengthen you. And then we need to begin to think about the things, like what, what would happen this year? What would happen this year if you got really focused on the things of God? What, what would happen if you got up this morning and said, you know what, I know God's going to direct me towards somebody or something that I'm going to be able to speak into their life, and it's going to be awesome. What, what would happen if your family actually got really focused and said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord? You began to think about those things, meditate on those things. What about the things that trip you up? What about the, those sins that you keep going back to? What if you said, no, no, this year I'm going to ask the Lord to help me overcome that. What would your life look like? The places that you've wanted to give up. If you said, God, I'm just, I'm just not giving up this year. I'm going to plow through. I'd venture to think that we'd begin to crave spiritual milk. We'd begin to get serious when we, when we get, get serious about the things of God, you know, there's been seasons of my life, if I'm 
real with you today. There have been seasons in my life where, where reading the Bible has been difficult. Where I've thought, I don't, like I'm reading it, but if you've ever read it, like, I'm a speed reader times a thousand right now. But when I get into situations like that, what, what, I, what I pray, and maybe this will help you, I, I just pray, God, would you illuminate your word to me? Would you make it come alive for me? Would you, would you help me to hear your voice and help me to be faithful as I'm reading it? There is a prayer that we must pray. God, God, show up and make your word come alive. That changes everything. And there are seasons where I'm praying that every day. But something happens when God actually transforms our life through his word, we recognize that it's the only thing that changes us. And when you've been changed, you, you're going to go back to what you know changed you. You see, uh, Peter in this tells us that, um, that we have to be not just ingesting the word once a week. He says we crave it like newborns. If you've ever had a newborn or been around a newborn, you know that they're hungry all the time. They're kind of like teenagers at all times hungry. And some of us, we are not craving the word like we're teenagers. We're craving the word like we're elderly, barely eating at all anymore. When someone comes to the end of their life, you know they're at the end of their life because they're not hungry anymore. They don't look to, like, eat anymore. They can eat half a sandwich for lunch and call it a day. And some of us are behaving as though we're at the end of our spiritual life. God says, no, no, you're to be like newborn babies. Did you know that when Jesus talked in the New Testament, the 10% of what he said, a little bit more than 10% of what he said, he was quoting scripture. So this, this challenged me this week because I thought, how much of what comes out of my mouth is scripture? And if Jesus needed scripture, if he needed to memorize and know the scripture, how much more me? How much more you? Uh, this idea that the scripture is important, it's so important in our lives because it never goes out of date. First Peter 1.23, we read this last week. It says, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. The word of the Lord remains forever. The word of God never goes out of date. Everything else is temporary, but God's word is forever. And if you build your life on the anything else, the approval of people, climbing some ladder to nowhere, it's all going to evaporate, but God's word is forever. And the word of God is living. This is, brings us to its living. The Bible is not just a book of theological doctrines and premises. It's living and breathing. And uh, let me just give you a little bit of interpretive help today. In, in the book of 1 Peter, Peter uses um, the, the idea of the word and Jesus interchangeably. Jesus is the living word. So when we follow God's word, we're actually following the person of Jesus. And at the end of chapter 1, Peter's talking about building our lives on the word. That's what he says. And then in chapter 2, we're going to see in a minute, he shifts to the rock that we build our lives on, that is Jesus. He, go, he goes through this. Um, in Jesus, th this is why we know that the word of God is living. Now, now, there's a little bit of nuance here because we don't actually believe that the Bible's a magical book. Okay, so we don't, we don't hold it up to be like you open it up and like, I don't know, magical dust comes out of it. But we actually believe that the words of the Bible were penned by the breath and life, through the breath and life of the Holy Spirit. 
And because we believe in a triune God, we believe that Jesus was involved. He is that process. This is why we can't say that we follow Jesus, but we don't like cling to his word. It doesn't make sense. So we believe that it never goes out of date. It's living and it's transformative. And Peter says, nourish yourself constantly in the gospel of the good word. Drink it in like, a, like, a, like the milk that the baby drinks. So then this is my question to you. How are you nourishing yourself on God's word? I had just, I was conversing with somebody about this this week, and they were like, well, what about those people, though, that like, have you ever met somebody that knows a lot of the Bible, but they seem like a terrible person? Just look straight ahead right now. Because there are people like that that are mean. I mean, you only have to go on Twitter for five minutes to know that there are people that are mean as dirt. They know a lot of the Bible, but they're so mean. And you think, how can, how can this be Jesus? And what good is it if I know the word of God if I'm mean? And I, I came across a quote this week that said this, Christians can read the Bible every day and still have our hearts firmly against the ways of the kingdom of God unless we read scripture through the lens of a crucified Christ with others. Our exegesis is dangerously subject to personal preferences and political allegiances. This is a very important point to make. In our Western individualistic society, we are told, read our Bible, pray every day, and we'll grow. But that was never the way of the first church. The first church said, read your Bible together in community. That doesn't mean that we don't ever read it by ourselves, but we read it and grapple with it together. The gospel is not a story of me and Jesus. The gospel is a story of us, all of us, and Jesus. And that's why it's great when we read something and go, no, I disagree with you on that. It's okay that we don't believe all exactly the same thing and we all line up and like we're all... No, actually, the grappling is what makes us strong. This is where Jesus is present amongst us. When, when that scripture was said, when two or three of you are gathered, there I am in the midst of you. It wasn't just saying like when we gather at Starbucks and stand there. Or like we gather in the parking lot. I mean, to be sure Jesus is there. But what, what we're really talking about is the struggle, the gra grapple together. We must grapple with the word of God together, particularly in these days. Okay, so Peter says the way that you're going to live is an exile. The way you're going to grow up, ingest the word. Love God's word. Have him um, saturate yourself in God's word. The second thing we're going to do is establish our foundation. In verse 4 to 6, he talks about Jesus being the living foundation. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. So you're being built up. The longer you've known Jesus, the more you're to be growing in him. The more you're to be built. It is not normal, just like it wouldn't be normal for a little baby to stay the same size and like stay the same. Something would be wrong. You'd take them to the doctor. It is not normal for Christians to stay the same way year after year. It's not normal that your faith wouldn't grow. It's not normal that you wouldn't be stretched. It's not, it's not normal that you'd be dealing with the same stuff. If you've stayed in a plateau for a season, I'm praying in Jesus' name that 2022 is going to be a year of exponential growth. That some of us are going to go from, like, you know when, you know when, like, about the eighth grade, when um, kids 
eighth or ninth grade and boys and girls graduate, and the girls always look like they're going to be like seven foot three coming in, and the boys are like four foot nine. Because they don't, they don't grow. This is why we don't judge each other either, by the way, because we don't all grow at the same rate at the same time. But then all of a sudden, like, I don't know, the boys drink 75 gallons of milk and then they turn out to be six foot five. This is, I, it, this can happen very quickly. I, I'm declaring that for some of you this year that this is going to be a year of quick growth. That you're going to, that you're going to lean into the things of God. That you're going to grow up in the things of Jesus. That the things that were stumbling blocks to you before are going to be, you're just going to demolish them. Because this is how the Spirit of God works. He causes us to grow in the things of Him. But it's because we put Him as our foundation. Now, I don't know a lot about building, but this scripture really talks about how Jesus is the foundation of everything. I do know that when the foundation's wrong, though, your whole house is wrong. Dave's dad is a builder, so whenever he, he was a brick mason, so whenever we would go to buy a house, a new house, he would come and he would say, I'm going to go look in the basement. And I would go down there like I knew what was happening. I I had no clue. I was just looking to see if it smelled weird down there. And he would look, and I can remember a few houses we looked at, he'd say, no good. <laughs> the foundation's cracked, or our foundation matters. We talked about this at length last week, this idea that if we put anything, like if there's anything other than the foundation, than Jesus, our whole life's going to be mixed up. So how do we know? How do we know that Jesus is our foundation? Um, the question is, who do you run to when everything is falling apart? Who do you lean on when everything's falling apart? Because this is revealing, right? Because what we do when we don't have time to think about what we're going to do is our natural instinct. For some of us, when everything's falling apart, um, we run to our families. By, by the way, our family, if, Je our, if, if your family is the foundation of your life, that sounds great but it's actually unbiblical. Our family can't be, because your family is made up of people. The last time I checked, people like really mess up a lot. It, it, your family can't be the foundation of your life. Jesus can be, is the only person that can be the foundation of your life. Your finances cannot be the foundation of your life. Now, we're Calgarians, and I feel like we know this one pretty well, because it can be boom or it can be bust. <laughs> And if we always put our hope in our finances, we'd have a hard time and we'd be praying around the, um, the altar of oil wells, right? We can't have finances. Some of us, though, uh, pride ourselves on being pretty smart. And some of us in this room are very smart. That is true. The Lord's blessed you with good brains. And... But if your brain is the only thing that's keeping you, if it's your foundation, there's going to be trouble. Who do you run to when things are difficult? Who do you run to when you're lonely? Who do you run to when it feels like not all the things are lining up? If the answer is not Jesus, then Jesus is not the foundation. And this is what Peter says. He says, listen, and I hesitated kind of to talk about this because it's kind of like tough words that Peter says here. But he, he basically says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble. Like, Peter is playing, no, he's not playing here. He's telling you, listen, Jesus is going to be your everything, or he is going to be a stumbling block to you. You don't get to choose between the two. He said, either Jesus is going to be everything, or he's going to be a pain, a rock that makes them fall. 
They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Yikes, yikes, Peter, come on now. This is how Peter is being Peter. He's just telling it like it is. He's not candy-coating it. Listen, if Jesus is not your everything, he's going to cause you to stumble. And C.S. Lewis said this, uh, I'm going to paraphrase. He said either there's two groups of categories of people. The first group is, is that Jesus is everything. The second group is Jesus is their enemy. Yikes. This is true, though. Because if I just have Jesus as some, like, nominal, like, friend, and he's not everything. He's like a rabbit's foot. By the way, somebody who was a little younger than me this week said, we don't ever understand what you're talking about when you call it Jesus and rabbits. What are you talking about? In the 80s, there was this terrible... Um, I'm sorry, this message is brought to you by 1985 today. There was a terrible fashion statement, like people for good luck would wear rabbit's feet. I don't, I don't really understand. Somebody who's a historian here can tell me that it was a very weird Canadian thing to do. But somehow, that this is kind of how some of us carry Jesus around. He's not a cornerstone, he's a rabbit's foot, like just for good luck. So just for good luck, I'll go to church at least six times this year. I'm going to double up on Christmas and Easter, triple up, actually. And this is how we have, and Peter says, nah, you can't have it that way. You can't have Jesus as like some little, like, good luck charm that you carry around, like, oh, I got Jesus on a cross and a rabbit's foot of Jesus. No, he's got, he's got to be everything. And this is difficult. This is a difficult message for us to hear in the 21st century when there's so many things, so many idols vying for our attention. But this is no different than the Old Testament where the people of God had to keep their mind and their hearts focused on Jesus. No different at all. And then Peter says, embrace your identity. And then we get to the good part. He says this, but you, you, put your own name in there. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You may declare the praises of him who called you darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. Establishing your foundation will lead you to embrace your identity. And I, I want to just talk for just a moment about this concept of identity. Identity is simply defined your definition of who you are, what you value, the role you play. And God says you're chosen by him. And the, the, the language here is interesting because he says you're a chosen people, a royal, a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy nation. You're chosen upon chosen upon chosen. So the people of God, Israel, was chosen by God. And then in the, in the whole nation of Israel, the tribe of Judah was chosen amongst Israel. And then amongst the tribe of Judah, the people, the Levites were chosen to be priests. And God says, that's how much you're chosen. I chose you. I called you. You're mine. <laughs> and this is a really good thing uh, to remember when you're not feeling very chosen on a Monday morning. When it feels like you can't get through. You know, our whole world is tells us that um, we're not enough. And this is the question quintessentially that all of us are asking ourselves, isn't it? Am I enough? Am I a good enough husband or wife? Am I a good enough mother? Am I good enough, like am I a good enough human? And basically the point of every advertisement we see on TV or our phones is that we are not enough. 
We're not enough unless we use this brand. We're not enough unless we go on this cruise. We're not enough unless you're not enough of a husband if you don't buy her this jewelry. You're not a good enough person all, all day long. That's what advertisement is telling us. And I think, you know, the, the real, um, when, when the rubber meets the road and life is difficult, life sort of tells us, well, he cheated on you because you weren't good enough. Your kids are off the rail because you were a terrible parent. You know, and over and over and over again, we're beat down by this idea that we are not enough. That's why suicide rates are so high because people feel like I'm not enough to have any friends. And you look on Instagram and it looks like everybody is having a party at all times. And you're at home on a Friday night binge watching Netflix for the 9,000th time. This is, what, this is what our life, this is what our world tells us. But Peter tells us right here in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we can stop this frantic race to the top. Because Jesus is our foundation. We have a new identity. We are chosen. We are called. And God says that he chose you to be in his family. What more do you need? You're not enough because you're more remarkable or because you got to the top or because you're better. But God did choose you. The fact that you're hearing this is the fact that God, think of this, of the 7 billion people on the planet, you heard his message and accepted it. God chose you. He believes in you. And this is more important than any father believing in you, any mother believing in you, any child believing in you. But we often just go, yeah, well, it's just God. He, like, basically chooses everybody, right? Which is true on some ontological level, yes. But he knew you would say yes. I, like, sometimes get in awe of that, don't you? Like we're living in this weird world with all this hurt and pain and people are broken and scared and I don't know, we don't know what's going to happen and God chose you. He said to you, I put all the gifts that you need. I put all the things that you need to make a difference in the world. I, I've, I've chosen you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything to earn that means that you can square your shoulders back a little bit. Come on, everybody sit up in your seats. You're chosen. You're chosen. This matters. And you know, knowing your identity will keep you from idolatry. Knowing your identity will keep you from idolatry. Because if I know whose I am, if I am chosen on the best team there possibly could, I'm never tempted to go on a lousier team. I'm never like, oh, I think I'm going to go on that lesser team. So why? Why would you do that? You are chosen. Knowing your identity will keep you from idolatry. This, part of the reason some of us get trapped in sins over and over and over again is because we forget whose we are. We forget that God has chosen us. We forget that we're called for such a time as this. Your identity will end up being one of the most important things about you. It will shape how you respond to everything else in the Christian life. The confidence you have in difficulty, the optimism in the face of opposition, the hope you feel in trial. If you know whose you are, that you are a chosen people, a holy priesthood. <laughs> Changes everything. It helps you to excel at your purpose. Because then it says that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. You can't 
you can't declare who God is till you know who you are. When you know that God, that Jesus is your cornerstone, then, 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 then you can declare his praises. I was thinking about this year. Dave and I were just talking about, you know, it's been a hard year, a hard two years at some point. We've lost lots of people who were saints of God in our church, and they went on to be with Jesus, and well, you don't even know how to really process that because we weren't able to process it together. But I was thinking about one of the last times that I was with Grandma Mary. Um, some of you have been coming just since the pandemic, so you might not know Grandma Mary. Grandma Mary was our eldest stateswoman. And she was a wonderful woman of God. Gwen, how old was she when she went to be with Jesus? 95. Yeah, she was 95. So Pastor Dave and I were over at their house just a couple days before she went to be with Jesus. And you know, when people are ending, nearing the end of their life, they usually tell you the truth, right? Because there's nothing to lose. And I'll never forget sitting around, uh, Grandma Mary was sitting in a chair and we came in and we thought maybe we'd just pray a little prayer with her and then let her rest. And she said, oh no, 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 we're not going to do that in 95. She said, Oh, no, we're, we're going to worship Jesus because that's what we do. And there was no nice simping keyboard in the background. There was just me singing in the key of Z. And Dave singing away, and Grandma Mary. And Grandma Mary is sitting in a chair. And at first when we came in, she looked quite frail. Because at 95... It's been a pandemic and you've been away from everybody. When we began to worship, Grandma Mary's hands are up and she is worshiping. And I'm thinking, I think we might be here for like a number of hours. She is not slowing down. She is worshiping God. Thanking him for all the things he's done. Thanking him for every person she has ever known. And I, I remember being challenged, like, God, this is the way I want it. Like, at, at one point, here's what's guaranteed. At one point, we're all going out of this world. We're all going to die, 100% of us. Question is, how are we going to go? How, how, how are you going to go out? You're going to grow out Jesus being your cornerstone or Jesus being your stumbling block? I want to go out like Grandma Mary did. Like, she basically worshipped her way out of this world declaring the praises of him who called her out of darkness. Let's remember today that Jesus is our cornerstone, that he has called us out of darkness. Maybe, maybe you're here and you, um, maybe you would say, you've never said, Jesus, I need you to call me out of darkness. I, I want to grow up in the things of you. Today, I want to call us all to make a commitment to say, Jesus, I'm going to grow up. 2022 is going to be my year. I'm squaring my shoulders back. I'm remembering who I am. I'm setting you as the foundation of my life so that I can declare your praises all the days of my life. Can I just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus, we thank you that you're in this place. We, we thank you that your presence is here. Thank you for your word that causes us to grow up. God, I pray that this year we would become people that would ingest your word. That, like, like, God, I pray that you would give us such an excitement for your word. I pray that we would open it up and that you would illuminate it to us. You would strengthen us as we read. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd breathe on us as we learn, as we, as we just read your word and ingest it. God, I pray that you would help us to make a decision now to make you our cornerstone, not just some side accoutrement, but like God, everything, our everything. May you be the one that we turn to in joy and in pain on the valley and in the mount, on top of the mountain. God, I pray for the person right now that has not based their identity on who you are, who's struggling, God, who's feeling less than. I pray that we would remember, each of us would remember that we're called and chosen by you for such a time as this. That you have things for us that only we can do. I pray for the person that has doubting thoughts in their mind right now. I pray that those thoughts would stop in Jesus' name. They would only hear your words for them. So that, God, we could declare your praises till our dying breath. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.